and I know that sometimes you don't know how to take me, but I just feel like right now that the Lord is going to break out in healing, and it's going to start over here, right here. Right over here on this side. I just felt like it's right here on this side, okay? All right, 1 John 3 and 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus is recognized. I listened to a testimony by Keith Green, and he was talking about how the different religions all recognize in some way Jesus. Uh, Jesus is recognized as a good man. He's recognized as a good teacher and even a prophetic voice to the world. Christianity recognizes that he is all of these, but he is so much more. He is the Messiah. He is God-made flesh. He is the Son of God uh, come into this world, ordained to the work that he accomplished through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension from the very foundation of the world. What work did Jesus actually accomplish? And in recognizing and understanding its scope, which is what we will attempt to do this morning, what work has his disciples been called to do as well? That is the subject of the message that we're going to be looking at today. So we want to do a little bit of review from last week, the work of Jesus, right? So again, our, our text, we'll read it a couple of times during this morning because the more times I read it, the more you might get it, is for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, if you remember last week, we delved into what the human race was purposed for and how Adam relinquished his authority as the head of the human race to the enemy, the devil. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We were created in the image and the likeness of God, just to sum up what we taught last week, to bring his ways and his purposes into the earth. Today we might say, thy kingdom come, thy will be on earth as it is in heaven. I want to tell you something. Heaven is so uh, 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 purposed on doing that, that even the word heaven dropped to the earth this morning in our hallway. <laughs> That's, that's funny, okay? Anyway, so uh, our original purpose and our original call was to bring heaven to earth. In short, we were called by God in partnership with God to bring his nature and his ways into the planet we've been given stewardship for. As we learned last week, Adam and Eve listened to the lies of a serpent, ate from the tree that God had commanded them not to eat from, Adam and Eve, in obeying the serpent, had relinquished their authority, and in submitting to his voice, they unwittingly became subject to him and thereby, thereby transferred their God-given authority to him. The good news we summed up in one word is Jesus. From the beginning of time, God had a plan that he was going to bring to fruition through Jesus. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Col uh, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, And you being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, 
having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So again, we see that Jesus restored us to our position, our original purpose as stewards of his kingdom over this earthly domain. His purpose through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension has not ceased. It continues through his body. John 17 and 8. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Romans 16 and 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. He is the head. We are the body. And so as his body, when Satan is put underneath his feet, Satan was also put underneath our feet. And this promise is that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet, or we could say our feet. Amen? So that was the work of Jesus. Now let's look at the work of his body. All right? Once again, our text, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Acts 10 and 38, I like the way it says it, same thing, but it says it in a different way. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good. What did that good look like? Healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Healing some, healing most, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. In John 14 and 12, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do. What was he doing? Healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So Jesus is saying that just like he was sent to destroy the works of the devil, and he was healing all who were oppressed of the devil, we gather from this that we will be doing the same. It's safe to assume that in doing the works that Jesus was doing, we too, his disciples, will also be destroying the works of the devil. Mark 16, 17 through 18, these signs will follow those who believe. Now, you say, well, does that mean it follows all Christians? Well, it should, but that's not what it says. It says these signs will follow those who believe. Believe in Jesus? Well, that's part of it, but I believe the context says these signs will follow the, them who believe these signs will follow them. Right? They will speak with new tongues. I don't believe that. Well, you're probably not going to see it. Right? But if you believe it, then you're going to ask the Lord for it, and then you will position yourself to receive. Am I making sense? So with that, with that understanding, let's go on. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the... And they might recover. They will recover. I remember one time, uh, I told this story uh, several times, but I was up at uh, Southwestern. 
and I was studying uh, uh, to get my degree in ministry. I'd been called to ministry, and Anna was my, my girlfriend at the time, and, and I invited her up to come to homecoming, and so she came up, and she got sick with a headache that day, and I said, no problem. We'll pray for you, and you'll get better, because that's what the Bible says. So I prayed for her, and she didn't get better, and I said, oh, well, I got to go talk to God about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure God was going, oh, no, Rick's coming. I don't know what. No, that's not what he did. I, he doesn't have a problem with us talking. I went and talked to him. I said, well, God, your word says that if I pray, she's going to get better. He said, well, what does my word say? It says, if you lay hands on the sick, she shall recover. I said, well, she's recovering. Recovering is a process. And I said, thank you, Lord. That's all I needed to hear, right? And sure enough, she got better, you know, and uh, we thank the Lord for that. But anyway, Ephesians 6, 11 through 13, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, some people feel like we're fighting the government. Some people feel like we're fighting our neighbors. Some people feel like we're fighting the school system. We're not. We're fighting against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, he's talking to the church, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, not survive, to stand. What does the word stand mean? To stand victorious. Well, I thought it meant survive. Everything depends on the lens that you wear, right? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To do what? To pull down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, we're just kind of laying a little foundation there, but let's get back to our text. Do you remember what our text said? For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. The word translated destroy in the, I think I'm using the New King James Version, other persons, other versions do the same, is taken from the Greek word luo, L-U-O, which refers to the act of untying or unloosing something. By the way, when I say L-U-O, that's the English transliteration of the Greek. There is no L, there is no U, there is no O in Greek, right? So I'm just trying to make it simple for you, okay? So, um, the word luo was used in classical Greek to refer to people being delivered, released, or freed from difficulties, burdens, or needs. So in the New Testament, I want to look at a couple of, of examples of how the word luo was used. One of the clearest examples of the word is found in Luke when John says in Luke 3.16, I baptize you with water, but one who is mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to unloose, to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and fire. So the word luo is translated to unloose or to loose. It's the picture of someone who reaches down to unloose the tight strings of a sandal. Then he begins to unwrap those strings from the shoe until finally the shoe becomes loosened, that it easily, so loosened that it easily slips off his foot. Another example, Mark 11, 1 through 5. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it, same word, and bring it. 
And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. They untied it. They set it free from that which was binding them. Am I making sense here? So again, we see the same Greek word luo translated as loosed. The word is also used several times in the actions of Jesus in the healing of people. In Mark 7, 31 through 37, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of the Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee, and they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him, and he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and spat and touched his tongue, and he looked up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed. And he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all these things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. So in this context, luo means the impediment was loosed from him. He was set free from the binding that had bound himself to him. It was set free of that. And then we have Luke 13, 11 through 16. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. One more uh, uh, example before we put this all together. The word was used to describe setting Lazarus free from his grave clothes. Jesus, again, groaning in himself, John eleven thirty eight through 44, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead for four days, uh, uh, said to him, uh, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the, man, uh, where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. So he's got life in him, but he's still bound. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, to them, loose him and let him go. Did you know that you can be a Christian, you can have the life of God in you, but you're still bound. But Jesus wants you set free. He wants you to be loosed from that which is restricting you from being all that God wants you to be. 
I, th I said it was the last one, but there's one more. We find another instance in the book of Acts where the word was used when Paul was set free from his chains, Acts 22, 29 through 30. Immediately, those who were about to examine him, Paul, withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that Paul was a Roman and because he had bound him. It means he was tied up. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds. That word released is the word loosed. He loosed him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsels to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So what I, in these instances, we just looked at the word luo. Luo is not used in any of these instances with the context of destroying, but in the sense of loosing. So we find people being loose from their captivity, loose from their infirmity, loose from their bonds, loose from their chains, loose from that which is restricting them, right? When they are loose from whatever is binding them, then the context is that the devil's works are destroyed. But how are the devil's works destroyed when the chains are set uh, are cast off and the people are set free. Okay, let me see if I can sum it up. Let's return once again to the verse that we're focusing on today. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The word translated destroy is the Greek word luo. As we have seen, the word is often used to mean to lose. So we see a different nuance in this verse when we have that understanding, which is why I also chose to highlight the same verse. You'll see it up here in the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version says, this reason, is it up there? This reason, the Son of God was made manifest or visible, which was to undo, to loosen, to dissolve, or to destroy the works that the devil has done. So this tells us that when Jesus came into the world, he came to untie and unloose Satan's binding powers over us. His objective was to disentangle us from Satan's control, to unfasten us from the demonic shackles that have held us captive, to unravel the chains Satan uses to keep us in his grip, and to break and destroy all the fetters Satan has used to hold us hostage. Because the word luo is used in 1 John 3 and 8, it could also be taken to mean this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might untie people from all the works of the devil, unraveling Satan's hold on them until the devil's work in people's lives are utterly destroyed and his hostages are set free. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus' redemptive work destroyed the power of the enemy and our liberty was fully purchased. You see, setting people free from Satan's power has always been Jesus' primary concern. 1 John 3 and 8 declares that this was the purpose that the Son of God was manifested on the earth. Since this is his concern, it should also be our concern. Right? You see, I'm gonna, I guess it's not going to preach very long today, but I believe we'll have a good time in the altar. But for too long, 
the church has assumed that his mission was defensive in nature. Somehow or another, we've fallen into the belief that in this life, we lose. Darkness is getting darker. Darkness can't get darker. It can only, it can only be pushed back by the light. Darkness is getting darker. Things are getting worse. And you know what? We don't win. So let's get people saved, which is a good thing. But then let's get them and hide out in the churches and just keep safe until Jesus comes back and rescues us from this big, bad devil that is blowing our house down. Yeah, I feel the rush of the Spirit of God right now. I do. It's taking everything inside of me not to, not to get excited. Yet Jesus seemed to have another understanding of what took place at the cross of Calvary. Because in Matthew 16, 18 through 19, he tells Peter, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock of your confession that I am the Messiah, that's the context, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Now, I have a different perspective on this. Gates don't move. You see that door right there? Imagine that door maybe uh, uh, three or four times bigger, three or four times taller, and they're the gates to a city wall. That door doesn't move. Right? So that door is not going to come against me. So when it says the gates will not prevail against you, what it's saying to me is that door cannot stay shut if you want it open. It will not prevail against you if your purpose is to open up that door. Right? So in my mind, if the gates of Hades cannot prevail, it's the idea that it cannot survive the onslaught that has been launched against it. Where does that onslaught come through? Us. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Help me to understand this. You're saying that in Christ... We win. In Christ, we have authority. In Christ, we have power. In Christ, we have the means to fight against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities and the rulers and the spiritual wickedness in high places. You're saying that we actually have a means to be able to do something? Well, actually, I think that's what the Bible teaches. Well, I've never seen that before. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You see, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they could see everything that God was doing, but they saw it through a slave mentality. They interpreted everything that was happening, happening through a captive-type lens. Now, 
you can see the same things that God is doing, change your lens, and all of a sudden, the very same things you interpret it differently. Remember that scripture we shared just a little while ago. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are those strongholds most often held is between our ears. It's the way we think. That's why the Bible says, be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you can say to yourself, well, I don't believe that. Well, we're not going to make you and we're not going to force you. You can believe whatever you want. But you're going to receive and you're going to see what you believe. Because Jesus didn't say, if you see it, no, what was it Thomas said? If I see it, I'll believe it. Jesus said, if you believe it, you'll see it. If you believe in defeat, you'll see defeat. If you believe that Christ is victorious and he gave us authority and power, you're more likely to find that you will see in your life uh, the authority and the power of God flowing through you to bring the enemy into subjection to the word of God. What does that mean that we don't ever, uh, uh, you know, have any uh, 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 blowback or we don't ever have any counters? No, I'm not saying that at all. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But it's a fight. It's called the good fight of faith. We will sometimes get a little bit of blowback, but that's okay. I'd rather get blowback doing something and being victorious than suffer through an enemy just because he is taunting me out of his own evil pleasure. Gates don't move. 1 John 3 and 8. I want to read it again. The reason the Son of God was manifest or made visible was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works that the devil has done. What that looked like for Jesus was pictured for us by in the book of Acts. And I'm doing a little bit of rehash, but I want to sum it up. Acts 10 and 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he didn't hide out in Nazareth. Well, he was God. Yes, he was. But everything he did on this earth, he did as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord upon, is upon me, he said, because the Lord has anointed me to do something. What did he get anointed to do? To preach good news, to release the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Can I say it this way? To uh, heal those who have been all their lives oppressed by the devil. Jesus didn't come into this world in a defensive position. He came into this world in an offensive position. And he was offensive to a lot of religious leaders. But he was most offensive to the demonic powers and principalities. But you know what? At his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he triumphed over them. He won. He's victorious. Jesus himself described our purpose in his high priestly prayer in John. And I'm going to say it again, but I hope it means something a little bit differently. As you sent me into the world, he says, how did he come into this world? Did he come into this world defeated? 
No. Well, wait a minute. He was defeated. He went to the cross. Jesus said, uh-uh. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I've been given power to lay it down, and I've been given power to pick it back up again. This was not a defensive thing. This was an offensive thing. You mean you can be offensive by going to the cross? Jesus was. If you could only see, if you could only realize that Jesus said, it is expedient for you that I go away. Because when I go up, Danny Johnson would say it this way, when I go up, the Spirit of God, He comes And that's what happened. He went up, and then he came back, and he spoke to his disciples, and he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, they were born again, and the Spirit of God indwelt them. But he said, I got something else for you too. He said, that same Spirit that was on me when I said, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do these things, I want you to have it as well. So do not leave Jerusalem until you've received the power from on high. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Power to do what? To preach, deliver, and set people free. As you sent me into the world, Jesus said, I have sent them into the world. To do what? To, in short, I would say, to destroy the works of the devil. In short, it's my contention that we, his church, are called to bring the kingdom of God into the world and demonstrate its superiority by going on the offense against the enemy. How do we do that? By loosening people from the change through which they are presently bound. So if someone's lost and they're bound in, in the enemy's camp, we set them free by preaching the gospel. Now, whether they're non-Christians or Christians, if they're bound up in anger and fear and torment, you can be a Christian and still be bound by those things, then the church is called to set you free. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. It doesn't mean that you're going to experience all of his freedom right now, but it's his purpose that you will experience all of his freedom. It's our job. It's our commission. It's our mission to destroy the works of the devil. When you see sickness and disease, it is from the devil. There was no sickness, sickness and disease before there was sin. For the wages of sin is death. What is sickness and disease? It's incipient death. It's the beginning throes of death. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So where you see sickness and disease, you can know for sure it is not the will of God. What is the will of God? That people would be saved. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God into the salvation of those who believe. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said sickness and disease is not God's will. See, you don't understand the word salvation. The word salvation means wholeness. Wholeness, spirit, soul, body. Every dimension of your life, God wants it whole. And in, our, in, in being whole, we have more capacity to release the kingdom of God in our lives and through our lives to let other people experience 
God's goodness, God's grace, and His salvation in Jesus Christ. It means something a little different when you realize this. When we pray, Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Oh yeah, Jesus is coming back and, and he's going to rescue us from this world. And well, that's true. There is truth to that. We're not saying that. But we're not supposed to hide our light under a bushel, under a building. Jesus said, uh, the, the Spirit of God said in Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah, Arise in, for thy light is, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. How do people see the glory of God? When we release the glory of God. We're not God, but he lives inside of us. When we do the works of God, then the devil is pushed back and God is glorified. I don't know if you guys are getting what I'm saying. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth, in my life, in my family, in my children, in my descendants. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And at some point, we get a little bolder. You say, God, I don't, I don't just want your will done in my life. I don't just want your will done in my family. I want your will done in our city. I want your will done in our school district. I want your will done in our county. I want your will done in our state. I want your will done in our nation. I want your will done on this entire planet. And they overcame. How? The Bible says we did overcome. By the blood of the Lamb. By the word of our testimony. By the spoken word of our testimony. We got to be willing to be bold and taught. Well, I don't know if I have it in me. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But I tell you one other thing that you got to have. You got to be willing to lose your life in order that the kingdom of God can show itself strong through your life. Thank you.